let's get this thing on the road. Do we have to... We don't have to, actually. We're not even getting paid for this. <laughs> anyway. You're here. We may as well. Exactly. I like, I like how everything in your accent sounds like a little bit ju judgmental. If not a lot judgmental. That's me. That's, that's all me. That's, all, that's, that's not your accent. accent. That's, that's you. Accent. That's all me. That's all me. <laughs> anyway. Uh, welcome to the Mexicans. Mexicans. I, is it the... Let's start Me over. The Mexicans. Mexicans. We're not starting over. We're done. Okay. Uh, so, let me introduce my co-host. This is another white savior nobody asked for. It's <laughs> Luis Augusto. Oh, thank you for the welcome. <laughs> and may I introduce my co-host. His hair is full of secrets and his bush is full of surprises. <laughs> Martin Leon. Ah, oh, you win. <laughs> no. There's no competition, but you win. There's a, there was never a competition to exactly. begin with. It's just, exactly. I, I'm just here. You're just I'm funny. Queer. I'm just queer, you know. Have you been? I've been good. I've been. I ran into Martin Leon at the open mic yesterday. Yes. Uh, How did that go? <laughs> uh, it was terrible. It was terrible. I tried this new joke and it was just like the, the, the audience was just dead. They were dead on arrival. And Well, then it's not your fault. They arrived dead. Like, if you had brought them back to life, it would have been a miracle. You would have been Jesus. Look, I, I realize that the chances of, of the stand-up comedians uh, hearing this are rather slim. Uh, the chances of... Actually, one of, the, one of our listeners. At least one. At least one. <laughs> the one listener. Not the one counting person. you. Uh, no, actually. Actually, I think this is only going to be listened to by our stand-up right. comedian friends. Okay. Well, I, I would love to ask our audience, is it ever the audience's fault? Like, this is a big... You know, con contentious issue. Like, is it ever? Is it ever the audience's fault? Because I would argue it isn't. It isn't. It is never the audience. I don't know. I. The thing is, maybe never the audience's fault, but that doesn't mean it is always the comedian's fault. Because there are conditions that are out of your control. Like you know the usual thing where they take yes. you. To... Yeah, I know. Like... <laughs> no, no, like like with they, they take you to this place, and when you get there, it turns out to be like a dance club, and but the owner wants to have stand up, so he like cuts the music and throws you on stage to. Um, so that you know, like the audience just wants to keep on dancing and keep on talking to people, and I mean it's not your fault. You're just there to get paid, and you're gonna do it like your 15 minutes or whatever. Wait, you get paid? Yes. Oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. Yes. There's I, nothing quite like being... A lot of exposition like, dollars here. I know. <laughs> There's nothing quite like being asked to do a show for no money, and then they bring you to what is essentially a death trap. You know, it's just, <laughs> I know. Come I know. here, suffer, and yet pay to be here. It's exactly. like therapy. And then you like ask for a beer at the end, and you're, you're leaving, and like, you didn't pay for your beer. I'm paying for my beer too. Well, that's not how Like full price. Like, I know you get this for like... Cents on a dollar. Shut yes, up. yes, I know. Centavos en el peso. They, they, they will. They, they always buy me the beer. I mean, that's, but that's I mean, last, last, even though we recorded the last episode a while ago, it was a while. Ago. Uh, we did have those two English shows before that. It was your first time hosting in English. And oh my you gosh. did really good. Yes, that was that was an experience. That was a. And how do you feel in both shows, in both uh, the hosting and then the American the, Legion show? The American Legion. Um, 
I felt good. I felt, it was the, the first show. I was I was just a nervous train wreck in the first one, and I and I was just reminding myself like these people are not here to see me as if they ever are. But, <laughs> like, these people are not here to see me, and I did the best that I could. I thought it was a great show. I thought you guys did. Show. I thought you guys did really well. Um, and the next time at the uh, American Legion, it was it was good. But I did feel the pressure then because the first two people who went on, they didn't do that well. Again, maybe it's the audience's fault. You know, I don't know. No, it wasn't. I, I, the first two were more of a storyteller type thing. I mean, they, they were both had funny things to say. Uh, I'm saying this in case you're listening, Michael. <laughs> oh, Michael, how are you? You did great. You that, was, that was wonderful. But anyway... um. Damn it, I lost my train of thought. We want to start with today's Mexican stereotype. Thank uh, you. We don't normally, or we, I don't think we will normally start with it, but today is, it is a special day. No, we will. The, the plan is to start with a Mexican, Mexican, uh, Mexican, Mexican. What's, what the hell is a Mexican? It's, uh, I don't know. Someone who lives in the tennis player, Messi. It's a surprise in Messi's is Is it Messi a football player? Whatever. Isn't he? <laughs> Do you seriously believe that Messi... Is, I mean, I am the least sports knowledgeable person and I know that Messi is a football player. Okay. Okay, fine. Whatever. So the point is, today is uh, March the 6th um, and it is Ash Wednesday. It is. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Catholic calendar, it's a very special day for uh, Catholics, and that's why we're going to talk about our Mexican stereotype of the day, which is Catholicism. Yeah, it's so much fun. I like, well, actually, Catholicism is one of, one of the words I don't like because it, it's just like this train wreck of consonants it's at the end. <laughs> it's like yeah. Catholicism. Anyway, so yeah, Catholicism. Were you raised a Catholic? I was raised a super Catholic. Ooh. My dad was a priest, actually. What? He, he was a Catholic priest for decades. And then he, like, put the... He was... cheated, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> just, obviously, he wanted out. No, it was, it's, it's a funny story. My dad, he, um, he, he grew up in this really uh, poor town in post-Civil War Spain. And okay. it was actually quite dreadful. And um, every once in a while, these priests from various religious orders would go to these towns which were ravaged by war. Like, they were left without men. Many of the men had been killed. And there were these widows. And there were, like, these families just barely getting by. And uh, they would come and they would go, you know what? We can take one of your children. We will clothe them. We will feed them. They will get an education, which they wouldn't otherwise get. True. And you essentially just have to give them to the church. And it was not only a symbol of status, because Spain is also a very Catholic country, but also it was like an economic option. Of course. You know, so uh, my dad was one of those kids and they gave him to an order, the Sacred Hearts Order. Oh, wow. And he got, ordained, he got ordained and he was like, you know, he did the whole thing. And he, then he went as a missionary to Peru and, you know, one thing led to another. Eventually, he was in a university, a university professor, and he was teaching my mum. He was my mum's teacher. <laughs> so let's, you know, let's give some kudos to mum. Because <laughs> she saw the handsome, clever, witty priest slash teacher slash 17 years older than me. And she said, you know what? You know what? I'm just gonna. And she, and she gunned. So yeah, um, so my mum and my dad got together, and my dad he had he had already been having he had this whole faith 
crisis, especially in the institution of the Catholic Church, because he was in Peru, a very poor country, and he'd been working in all these very poor regions of Peru. And he was part of this movement, which was a, a, a movement that was critical of the Catholic Church. And he was essentially like the intellectual side of a mm. guerrilla group. Basically. Your father's like Lord Asriel in his dark materials. Kinda, yeah. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, I mean, less... This makes you Lyra. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm I've been reading that book. That's why. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful, it's, it's a... wonderful book. I love it. And so, yeah, he was... Um, he basically had this crisis of faith and in walks this young, very intelligent woman who was my mum and... Um, who is my mum? She's, she's not young anymore. She's not young anymore. And um, he basically goes, you know, he writes to the Catholic Church. And, uh, you can't just quit usually no? the Catholic Church. No, it's not that easy. But he writes to the Catholic Church and he goes, you know what? I think I want out. I think I'm good. And he had been giving them so much trouble that they were like, you know what? Just go. <laughs> just go and he got the letter from the Vatican saying from the Vatican saying you know what we're tired of you we've had it so officially we've had it and okay. he just left and he, he came to Mexico and he had me and so on so I was raised very Catholic but with a very critical side to it so it was very it was a very strange way of growing up Catholic is your mum Catholic? my mum uh, was Catholic she they both kind of like stopped being too Catholic in recent years. Okay. She was Catholic. Then she converted to uh, Protestantism, which is another avalanche of cons consonants. And then she went back to Catholic. And it was, it, was a, it was a very back and forth. It was like a tango of religious inclinations and so but that it was a very uh, it was interesting because I was raised super Catholic I know like I know the um, the all the Our Fathers and the Credo and everything in Latin. I was, oh my God. I, I, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like I could Dios just mio. I could just break into Latin right now. Like... <laughs> okay. so, yeah. yeah, no. Um, my experience is like quite different. First of all, because my father wasn't a priest. Um, I like on the one hand, on my dad's side of the family, they're very Catholic and they're you know very, um, very like Mexican Catholic. You have to go to all the church things and you have you know to mass. I don't think my dad went to mass for something. On my, my mom's side, even though my grandfather was an atheist, and when and this is my my, grand, my grandfather, like this is when you couldn't actually say publicly that you were an atheist because people would just like be like, "What? Burn him!" Basically. Um, so, but my grandma on my mom's side, she was very Catholic, and then like that just meant that I had this like really liberal religion. Like it wasn't, yeah, it was critical, but it was like, "Well, you do you." and it's fine if you're a Catholic and if you're not it's fine too then I turned Wicca because when I went to this Christian school and my rebellion was like I'm going to be Wicca I'm going to be a witch uh, of course you did of course I did. Of course you did and I had a pentagram I was that gay you were that gay <laughs> yeah, you were that watch charmed but isn't it funny how Catholics in Mexico like because Catholic you have to understand especially if you're listening from the States Catholics here, they just won everything. They just came over and they took over everything. So basically, for many, 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 many years, centuries, people just assumed everyone was Catholic. So people are not really that fanatical. Because when you assume everyone is like you, you really have nothing to 
Like, there's no big debate. Like, people don't read... No. Don't, like, you don't turn on the news and find people arguing whether or not it's okay to have a mosque or a... You know, it's not... It doesn't really happen. Not anymore. really. And, and, and of course, there were, like, Jewish communities and there were... Um, there was, there's a tiny Muslim community. And Asians came and they had, like, the Buddhist temples and other, um, uh, like, Tao, Tao temples and everything. Uh, but, yeah, it was this thing where people were just, like... Catholic was the default, and to the point that right now people don't understand that Catholicism is a branch of Christianity. They think Christianity is Protestantism. The other thing here is like what a lot of um, Mexicans don't understand, especially Mexican Catholics, and I think that happens in a lot of countries when, when it comes to their own Catholicism, is that they don't understand that Catholicism kind of became a thing for their country. And yeah, they all follow the Pope and they all um, they all have cardinals and whatever, but the saints in Poland are very different from the saints in uh, Uganda, from the saints here in Mexico, uh, because a lot of things with the saints, they are actually appropriated from um, old gods. Like the Virgen de Guadalupe, which is like the, the main Virgen here. You could, the, the point can be made that it would be, it is the main deity. Yeah, of course. And here's a funny thing, you know, Catholicism is supposed to be Christianity, and it's a branch of, of Christianity, and Christianity, it, it's one of its main tenets. Is it's there in Latin, you know, in unum dominum. It's like one God, but Catholicism is actually quite polytheistic. Yes. You know, they have like all these different saints, and this is the saint for the roads, and this is the saint for the for the animals, and yeah. this is the saint for the children. And, and they were like the the masters of appropriation. Like it wasn't that they went to a place and they like erased the faith, and they 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 basically said like, okay. Like, like, you know, the British. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, for an example, it's like, oh, what do you mean you have a different religion? No, you don't. Let's just shoot them all. Exactly. Um, no, but like, uh, for example, like we, like a lot of the, a lot of the holidays can be like traits to pagan traditions oh and God, pagan yes. holidays. And that's why it was so easy for people to transition. And nowadays with Catholicism on the, like, you know, really, they're losing adepts here in Mexico. And not even losing them, like, in people saying, I don't want to be a Catholic anymore. People, like, I don't care to continue because we're all, because most children here in Mexico are baptized, like, a few days, if not the day they were, they're born. Like, it's not this Christian thing, like, you have to choose to accept the Lord. And your, no, no, no. You, you, like, I was baptized, like, hours Everyone after is my baptized birth. here. Everyone is baptized here. And Even children of non-Catholic families. I've run into several people who tell me, like, oh, yeah, we're going to have, we're having him baptized. I'm like, I thought you weren't Catholic. And they're like, well, we're not. But, you know, we don't want any trouble down the road. You know, like, if he wants to get married. Because here's the thing, again, many people here, they don't really practice Catholicism in the way that you should. Like, come on, today, Ash Wednesday, today marks the start of, here's Catholicism lesson. Today marks the start of the Lent, you know, which is this great period of um, meditation and contrition and, uh, you know, feeling shitty about yourself. You know, I live in Lent, basically. <laughs> You're supposed to deny yourself uh, a, a certain pleasure, you know, yes. certain certain indulgences. And supposedly you're not you're not supposed to eat red meat, which is which is the standard. The yeah. idea is that red meat is a luxury, and therefore you should deny yourselves that. But but there's many Catholics that just say I'm not going to eat chocolate because it's my my favorite thing is chocolate. I'm just not going to eat it, or I'm going to deny myself uh, television because my favorite thing is television. And they like the whole idea is like make yourself appreciate the things that you have by not having them, which is a very Catholic thing. Like yes. it's like oh you want to 
to you want to feel love then let's make you feel as unloved as possible so like <laughs> it's it's a very contradiction contradiction filled um ideology but yeah yeah what you're saying is like a, like a lot of people here of course want to get married in a church and in a catholic church and in order to get married in a church you need to have uh a, I forget what they're called, the sacraments? The, the five uh, sacraments. And marriage is the sixth sacrament, actually. Uh, so it's baptism. Uh, there's Baptism, two. first communion, yes. confirmation, marriage, and last rites. Exactly. So if you don't have, uh, if you don't, so if you don't, if you're not baptized and you don't have a first communion, and there's like people that like before the they're married, they need to have like these, like they need to pay like because you have to pay the church for all this too. Oh, oh, what really? <laughs> you you don't fucking say you. They charge for things. They I do. Thought they just found that gold they built literal <laughs> buildings with. I mean, you go to churches in Europe, it's so much fun to, to visit Spain. I love Spain, obviously, but like, it's so much fun to visit Spain. It's like, and this is the cathedral of Toledo. This is a very nice cathedral of Toledo. You, you can see here. And this is a beautiful wall that is 80 meters high and is all made of gold. And you go, where did you get the gold from? It's like, ah, with the grace of the Lord. You know, it was given it to us was, willingly by was, these very nice native people in Mexico. We <laughs> ran into these beautiful people. They gave us the gold, and in exchange, we killed all the women. You know, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was. But yeah, like the Catholic Church, obviously, they love to charge money. But the thing is that we are all Catholic in this country, and I I always tell that I teach so, social studies, and mm-hmm. uh, I teach social studies to a very multicultural um, group of teenagers, and still I keep telling them it doesn't matter what religion you have. This is a Catholic country and there is no way around it. There's there's no way around it. Like you're, we, we celebrate Christmas even if we don't celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the you know, the Day of the Dead even if we don't celebrate the Day I of mean, the Dead. I mean, Easter vacation, yeah. uh, stuff like that. But yeah, no, I think that the point is, and, and that's a, a point that some uh, new atheists uh, don't like to be told, is that even if you are not a practice, you say, I don't like cat or whatever, you were born in, in this culture and you were you were uh, pickled in this culture. I like that word. <laughs> you were pickled in this culture. <laughs> And you were pickled in the brine of the Lord. <laughs> the Lord has turned this faithless cucumber into a pious, godly pickle. And you know what? Oozing that... <laughs> with the juices of godliness. And you know why that works? Because Beggy Tails as a cucumber. <laughs> if you don't know Beggy Tails, Google it. You have to. Hours of fun. Um, so yeah, that was our Mexican stereotype for the day. I would like to finish with this thing that I wrote today. Yeah, I think that Catholicism in Mexico is like herpes. Most everyone gets it at some point. It doesn't technically kill you. You probably got it from your parents and it's best not to wonder which one. And I would probably wouldn't kiss you even if you say you can't pass it on. So, uh, on to the main dish. Uh, this is actually a theme uh, Luis Augusto proposed, and the moment he said it, uh, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast. Anyway, and we actually recorded it, uh, was one of the two episodes we lost. Um, the lost episodes. The lost episodes. But how do you call it? The apocrypha. <laughs> we have an apocrypha now. Exactly. There's there's a, I mean, I'm sure that the phone has been deleted, you know, like cleaned, and now someone else is using it. Maybe there is a thief just going around Mexico going like, wow. <laughs> I've learned so much <laughs> in these two hours. Of... He's turned his life around. It's like I've made a very, very bad mistake. I'm going to change this. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. 
Hopefully. Anyway. Contrition. So, contrition. It's the time for contrition. The theme, uh, the theme uh, is uh, Regina George from Mean Girls. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know Mean Girls. It's one of the holy texts of homosexuality. It is. Yes. Uh, some of the young people haven't seen it. I'm really, I'm really concerned about what we're teaching our children. Uh, although, uh, the point is that the Regina George character in Mean Girls is often um, misunderstood. Or not her, what she is to the story. So, originally when we did this, we started by doing a, like a, a synopsis. Like a, you know, a short thing of this is what Mean Girls is about. Uh, that took way too long. So, we're just going to skip it we're in this record. If you haven't seen it, go see it. You should. It's a really funny movie. It's written by Tina Fey. It was also directed by Tina Fey, right? Or was it? I don't think I don't believe it was actually. I think it was just written by her. Okay. Uh, well, fine, whatever. So it was written by Tina Fey. Uh, it's based on a self-help book called Queen Bees and Wannabes, which is not a fiction book at all. It's like a, a uh, advice book for tweens and teen and teen girls, which was turned into this high school movie. Um, Mark and Waters. Mark Waters directed it. Of course. I don't know who Mark Waters is. A director. But he seems like a nice guy. How bad can he, can he, he be? He directed Freaky Friday, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, Mr. Popper's Penguins, and Vampire Academy. Oh, nice. As you know. I love Freaky Friday. The remake, of course. The original is actually not that good. But I hate it because it made me cry in, like, a bus. And I was like stuck in this bus for like ten hours, oh, no. and like it was it was dubbed too. It was dubbed, and I was like crying, and you know people were watching. I'm like, damn it! You I'm... were just having a moment in the middle of this. Exactly. Bus. Oh, isn't that terrible? It is such a, but it, it has a, it's such a great emotional ending. Anyway, so Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Uh, Suffice to say, like what? Okay, we're not going to do the full synopsis, but like, what do you think? How would you describe the story of Mean Girls in like a minute or less? Less, I would say. Okay. New girl, it's it's a standard high school comedy. So, girl comes into a high school. She's a fish out of water. She comes from uh, Africa. She's been raised in Africa. She comes into, uh, she she enters this high school, this very stereotypical upper class American high school in Evanston, Illinois, and she um she runs into this group, this clique of very popular girls known as the Plastics, and they are very they, these are the, the titular. Mean girls, and essentially she enters their group uh, and tries to sabotage them at first, but then she finds herself becoming the mask and becoming this this character and liking being a mean girl. And eventually she learns this whole life lesson of, oh right, it's not about being mean. We should all be good people and treat each other. Yeah, with the people. the line at the end, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, this is just plastic. It breaks, and it also means like the thing is, you know. Because uh, I was thinking, like, it's stupid to have this thing, high school thing of, you know, your worth <laughs> is based on how you look and who you who you uh, spend your time with. Um, and it's, a, it's a, I, I genuinely like, like this movie. I love this movie, actually. I think it's a really, really good movie. It's very good. But, uh, and this is where I pass the, the, again, to you. You were the first person to tell me, uh, like, in just, without just being like, ugh. Like, what you didn't like about the misunderstanding of this character, Regina George, who is the antagonist. So, uh, let me explain Regina George. Regina George actually has a great, one of the best character introductions, uh, film-wise. She is introduced by a whole bunch of other people saying the things they've heard about Regina George. So, she's flawless. She, apparently, she, there's, it's been rumored that she's been in car commercials in Japan. Um, one time Regina George punched me. 
It was awesome. It was awesome, yeah. Um, so uh, she's the antagonist, and she is basically there to uh, uh, be... And I love that she's being played by a woman that's like a complete adult in a world of supposedly teenagers, because the rest of the cast isn't actually, you know, teenagers. But she is, you know, I think Lindsay Lohan was like a, either 19 or something. and She was still technically a teenager. Yeah. But uh, what's her face who plays? Uh, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. Yeah. She was 20-something at the moment. So, and I think also, also there's this thing where, like, in high school, you do ide- idealize these people who are like, they're so mature, they're so worldly, even though they're 16, just like you. Um, so, uh, and what would you say in, well, whatever time, because we're now on theme, uh, <laughs> is the misunderstanding of the Regina George character? Well, here's the thing. Um, I've spoken to it, like, this is, as you say, it's one of the holy texts of gay culture. Like, if you had to say, what is gay culture? If you had to introduce someone to gay culture, um, there is the actual gay culture, the idea that, um, you know, the drag scene and, uh, um, what's his name? Um, D- Divine and Roger Waters? Roger Waters, Roger, yeah. No, that's the, that's the musician. Oh, right. Someone uh, Waters. Damn it. Um... John Waters. John Waters. John There's Waters. too many Waters. Can we please edit this out because this is very embarrassing. I'm going to put it at the end. All right. <laughs> uh, so there's the, the actual gay culture that is actually made by LGBT plus people. Um, but then there's the peripheral gay culture. The idea, you know, these these um, bits of popular culture that are clearly aimed at a certain gay aesthetic. So they have the gay music, you know, it's like gay club music abounding around and there's a lot of queer themes just bubbling under the, the surface and so on. And Mean Girls is no exception. It has, you know, it touches upon, a, you know, the, the gay guy who is very gay and then there's a, the girl who is not particularly girly and therefore she is assumed to be a lesbian and she's teased about it and so on. So it's, it, it's meant to resonate, definitely meant to resonate with the gay uh, culture. And then I've run into so many gay men who, like, have seen this movie and they go, like, I want to be Regina George. Like, Regina George's goals. And she is obviously the most quoted character. And she's only quoted when she's saying these awful, terrible things. It's like turning on her friends and telling them, like, stop trying to make this happen. It's not going to happen. She's telling this to one of her best friends and just being a terrible friend and a terrible human being. And she is very clearly written to be the antagonist. Like, dramatically, she is the opposing force. She is the one preventing... Uh, the happiness of our protagonist and her psychics, let's say. Um, but she is kind of like admired by gay culture. And this is something that I never, ever got. And, I, and it's not only gay culture. I did mention, I want to mention, for example, um, the new Ariana Grande video. Thank you, next. Uh, in Thank You, Next, it's really interesting because she like does spoofs on several... Um, Movies that are you could also consider sort of you know romantic comedies, uh, Legally Blonde. I would you know it is I think written by a gay guy, um, if not directed by one too. And so she's she's a woods in in Legally Blonde. She's the main character in Thirteen Going on Thirty. Uh, but when it comes to Mean Girls, she does not embody the she does not embody um, the protagonist, Katie, yeah. Katie, which is uh, Lindsay Lohan. She embodies Regina George, and in fact, she's introduced in that video the same way. Regina George is introduced in the movie. Uh, so the, as far as the video is concerned, the hero of that movie is Regina George. When she's not, she's clearly the antagonist. And B, Regina George loses. She loses. And I don't mean also in the fact that in the story she loses everything. She loses her friends. She loses 
everything. She realizes she's been wrong the whole time. Um, even though, like, you know, it also this thing where she's, she, she, she is not this usual high school thing where she's like, and now nobody loves her and she's ugly and she gained weight. But rather, you know, she changed. And at the end of the story, you see her playing uh, lacrosse because that's the place where she can uh, take out her uh, aggressiveness yeah. Yeah. In, a, in a healthier manner. Um, and so it's even as far as, and I think it also has to do with the fact that Lindsay Lohan uh, did not uh, age gracefully. She had like, you know, a falling out. And... That's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, like the movie is so clearly saying Regina George is wrong and she's, she's not the person who you should be rooting for. It, and it tells you this in no uncertain terms. Like they, it, even when she's getting her, you know, his, her, She's having, you know, this argument with the protagonist at the end, of, or nearly the end, at the end of the movie, and she's telling her like, "You're all so wrong because you're a terrible person as well," and so on and so forth. And then she gets run over by a bus. Yes. So like, the movie is not being subtle. The movie is not like it's not like Igmar Bergman kind of, you know, I will look out of a window and realize as the rain hits the window pane that I have been wrong about so many things in my life. Like, it's not a. a a nice, you know, it's not no, quiet. no, it's not subtle. No, it's, it's not very rom commy. Like this is what we're aiming for. Exactly, and and still, gay people and people in general, they're like, oh, I so want to be her. I want to, and and this is what I've come to know, or I, what I'm calling the Regina George syndrome. The idea that there is sometimes a movie where the antagonist is iconic enough or confident enough. That people want to be her, even though she loses. But I think that it happens a lot. For example, like with Disney villains, um, Ursula is a, peop- is a is a villain people love. Even yeah, but nobody wants to be Ursula. I've never heard. Oh, I've there's never... a lot of drag queens. No, come on. Yeah, they, they, no, but, but because um, Ursula, because they know that Ursula is is actually a, an. She's based on divine. No, but I do mean. But I. But even then, uh, not even drag queens. Also, uh, heavy girls. Uh, they see Ursula as, you know... Body some, positive. Yeah, she's not at all body positive. She's a villain and that's why she's fat. But uh, but also, like, um, there's other Disney villains where it's like, it's fun to be bad. But I think in those cases, it's usually understood that you know that they're bad. And even nowadays when people are, like, questioning and you have movies like Maleficent and you have movies like... Uh, they did another villain movie, um, which was the villain movie that... Yeah, they were going to do another, like, uh, villain movie, and it's completely lost. But but they do want, now that the story about the witches, you know, like, for example, we had Wicked, which, you know, expanded on the Wicked Witch of the West and everything. Uh, So, yeah, like, it's cool that we're kind of exploring those old villains and, like, oh, my God, the old fairy tales and the tropes, whatever. But Regina George, um, she is, I mean, she's not, she's as nuanced as everyone else in that movie, I feel. But also she says nuances she has to be, and she is clearly wrong, and she learns in the end that she that she's wrong, uh, and and I also like the movie because in the end what it says like this is not uh, you know just because you get rid of Regina George you don't get rid of the problem of people wanting to be popular and saying I'm rich therefore I'm worth more there are new plastics in the end and uh, they're also like there's also this like and then they get run over by a bus no. Um, uh, I forget where I was going with this. Um, but again, what I was going is like, you're asking like, why would people want to be that? And I do think that for a lot of people, being portrayed as the villain, especially queer culture, we were usually portrayed as villains. Like, 
If you see Pocahontas, you see Radcliffe, and Radcliffe is, is coded queer. If you see Aladdin, Jafar is coded queer. A lot of the Disney villains are... Scar is coded it's queer. Coded. You could make the argument that Gaston is, to a degree, coded queer. It's to a degree, yeah. Uh, although, I, 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 we should t- say that for another, another episode. And so, we're, we're, I think we're also used to sort of seeing ourselves in the bad guy. At, but in Mean Girls, we are very clearly put as queer people in the side of the good guy. There is the large gay friend who is, who is you know, kind of has a little bit of the stereotype, but is also very much his own character. And he's very much comfortable in his own in his own skin, which is great. And it was also great to see that the actor who played him later on came out you know, and said, like, I understand why this character is so important to people. So it's really sad to see that a lot of people would rather be... Regina George and see that you know like I want to continue this idea of the blonde skinner girl as the obvious queen rather than you know the other cool characters we had on the good side like Janet and Damien who were two really great characters they were really good and let's just as well we're talking about gay coding and you know which side we the gays are supposed to be on the one time that a gay slur is used in that film it is used by Regina George to describe a character that we are meant to like. Yes. And she says, you know, Janice Ian Dyke. And she and it's written and it just hits you. Yeah. And it there's even like quiet, like they stop the music and like you get this reaction shot from uh from Katie that goes like, Oh fuck. Like that's yeah. that's not fun. Like that's it's no longer longer fun, you know. They and and then you realise how she was really hurt by this. She was really hurt by being called this. Um not because she wasn't she that's a funny thing she never actually tries to prove that she's not gay she just she's so different from the other girls that she finds herself railroaded into this um role yeah and at the end you know she does have this kiss with uh the mathlete uh who's one of the cuter mathletes i'll admit um and it's fine you know and she's never meant to be gay but no she's never but what I want to say is also like even in that storyline because you know they 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 point to a past between uh, Regina and, uh, and Janet and they have like this whole thing. Used to be friends, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you, and and then you have this thing where Regina starts placing a rumor that she's a lesbian. Um, and I, I actually what it's kind of funny because like even in that in that mini cosmos of the of the both of them, she loses and. She and Janet wins. Uh, what happens is that they're doing the whole like uh, thing together, bonding thing, yeah. exactly. And she's about to jump. They're going to do the the trust fall into into the other girls. And Regina and George quite meanly says, "Oh, it's your dream. You're jumping into a group of girls." And the answer is like, you know what? This is what happened. And and she ends up like turning the tables on her, and, and, and she's like, and that what we did is we tried to break up your your group of friends. We made we made you gain weight, and like we destroyed everything you found valuable because I'm so in love with you. And I found that hilarious because at one point here in Mexico, in Mexico I, I had this uh, these videos where I went against homophobes, and one of them was another this gay kid from Guadalajara. And at one point, um, like he did send me uh, like the image of Regina George, like, why are you so obsessed with me? And I literally answered with the with the meme from with Jan, like, it must be because I'm in love with. It's like, no, I'm not obsessed with you. I'm just I'm just seeing you for the shit person you are. 
So even again, even in that mini cosmos of those two characters, she loses. But it, but inst- but instead, uh, a lot of gay people uh, not only uh, idolize her and want to be like her, but don't realize that the whole point of the story is this isn't a good strategy for ha- for high school. Don't be her. The, and this isn't a good strategy for high school. This isn't a good strategy for life. Yeah, it's, and it's it's very, very blatant in this, do not act like this woman. Even though the the writing cheats a little bit, and I want to do a little, you know, write a little uh, parenthesis, because she loses, but she loses kind of off-screen, because um, she loses off-screen, because, and this is something that, um, it happens in drama, it comes from way, like, this is... Shakespeare old. When a villain is so witty and charismatic and so interesting and so, uh, like, you like the villain because they're so evil, they're so evil and so in, so fascinating because how can someone be this bad? This happens in Othello. Othello has probably, probably the most evil character Shakespeare ever wrote. Iago is essentially a caricature of the devil. Like, it, he is based on the devil. He doesn't confront directly, he is very manipulative and very schemish and very, you know, a kind of awful, awful human being. And even though he loses at the end, he is carried off stage and we never see him die a violent death. And every other villain in Shakespeare gets to die the violent death. You get uh, Macduff walking in with Macbeth's head. We get um, Richard III dying. We get... uh, Brutus dying, like all of the villains in Shakespeare, they die on stage. You get to see that as a resolution. And Iago, they just tell him, they they ask him, why did you do this? And he goes, I'm not going to tell you. And they just carry him off stage. Because I'm a racist fuck. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but he gets carried off stage. And then this is me bringing my drama major into play here because I want to make it worth something. So um, he gets carried off stage and you never get to see him. They say, oh, he's going to be tortured. He's going to be blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's fine. But why did he not show this, show, show this on stage? Shakespeare never did anything by accident. He was a fucking genius. So why? And the same thing happens with Regina. You never actually get to see her lose only when she gets run over by the bus. And then next time you see her, she is winning prom queen, tied, but still winning. No, she doesn't win. No, no. Oh, no, she doesn't win. That's right. She's one of the nominees. Yes. She's one of the nominees and she's close to winning. Katie even mentions she almost, she had an accident and she's still... Something she still looks amazing. Yeah, she, yeah, but but I, I think a I, I think that one of the reasons why uh, maybe yeah was in torture on stage is just uh, the limitations of the Elizabethan era on stage. Uh, but I think the, the thing also with uh, Regina George is that it's not about because Lindsay Lohan has a lot of high school movies in which there's like a high school villain and some, like uh, the, before this she had Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen which is also like a Reg- Regina George character she's also like the popular girl and in the end you know she her, gets her couple pants where she's like she, whatever and I think in the end Regina George isn't uh, yeah she did some bad things but it isn't about uh, taking everything from Regina it's more about realizing that uh, Regina is um, she's she's part of the system as much as anyone else, even if she can game the system, and the system gave, gives her a lot of uh, advantages. Um, but in, again, in the end, she like she got into lacrosse, and you know they they have this thing at the end with a lot of, like together with you know the wheelchair girl, not necessarily friends, but learning to coexist. Exactly, she does this nod. Towards Katie, who's like, yeah, I'm gonna 
respect to you. That's okay. And that's the end of the movie. And it's a nice ending. I like it. It's a very good ending. I think it's a great, um, great screenplay. But in the end, why do we admire Regina so much? And I think this is coming back to, going back to this thing where you were saying, like, how many villains are gay coded? As gay people, we like to see a person taking these disadvantages and turning them into weapons. Yes. So Regina is a blonde, beautiful girl in high school. Now, barring anything else, she is supposed to be like an object. That's how blonde girls in high school are portrayed. They're supposed to be stereotypes. And then she breaks the stereotype constantly. She's incredibly intelligent. She is incredibly uh, witty. She is funny. Oh, she can be so funny. Uh, she is successful. She's not stupid. It's never mentioned that she has trouble with her no. marks or that she's in trouble with a teacher. She's actually implied to be a very successful student herself. She's not boy crazy. She's she, not pining against, uh, for some someone. She's sexually liberated. She is in control of her own body. She like she works out and she you know she's vapid but also successfully so. Yes. Like, she wants to be what she wants to be. She is actually proud of being superficial, and she's proud of being mean, and she's proud of being this person she is. And seeing someone being hated, but proud of it, seeing someone being, um, like, having this legend around her and still coming out on top is something that very much resonates with gay culture. Because we are also, you know, society does try to railroad us into certain stereotypes. So, you know, I mean, you've heard it. I've heard it. Like, every gay man, as, as in this country, definitely, it must happen everywhere else. But, like, if you're... And they've asked me, like, if you're gay, how can you dance so terribly? And I'm like, because we don't all dance well and it's it's this kind of thing where you find yourself explaining yourself and justifying your existence as someone who does not fit so seeing someone like regina george taking these disadvantages and turning them into weapons she has weaponized everything every stereotype you have about regina she's weaponized into something she uses for domination yes. and we admire that as gay people and that this brings us to the stereotype of the mean gay And every single, you know, not every single, but it's one of the big tropes. One of the big gay tropes is this catty kind of like gay guy who has always got the quip and always got, so he's always got the comeback and he's always got like, there's something mean to say about someone's hair, about someone's clothes, about someone's car, about someone's boyfriend. And it's, 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 it's pretty mentioned also, it's usually a comeback. Yeah. It's you get called, you know, whatever kind of gayzler or something like, oh, I think you, I think you, whatever, and you can come back from that. But it's always a defense mechanism, reaction. Yeah. yeah. And this brings us to, we like meanness because we've been told this is the only way a gay guy can come out on top. Yes. This happens constantly in popular culture and in fiction. The gay guy who comes out on top is mean. Yeah, and, and again, it, but, but also in, the, in this way where, like, this is your only weapon. Like, you couldn't go face-to-face uh, -face in any other arena. So this is where we... And, you know, and it's, and it's cool that we that it, it, it has made a lot of great uh, quips and quotes to have in your, you know, back pocket for whatever. And it's not, it, it's not in and of itself a bad thing. But uh, but especially when it comes to characters like Regina George, and especially when it comes to 
um, younger gay people that are coming into this world and seeing that and not understanding that we are no longer, that once you come into a position where being a rich white gay guy does not mean at all that you are discriminated against, at least not in the same sense. I mean, right, right now, uh, I'm really glad to see that a lot of uh, younger gay kids are out to their families and they are having, you know, they're, and they're out in school and they're, and they, they don't, they don't, at no point do they fear that they're going to get kicked out of school. If they know that if something happens in their school and they get attacked for being gay, most of the student body is going to be on their side, like no questions asked. At least in big cities. In big cities, cities yeah. of, course, of course, of course, of course. But yeah, definitely. And then, you know, we like the idea of the, the endlessly quotable mean gay character because he kind of like earns the respect of straight people. Straight people are willing to have this gay guy around because he's fun to have around. He brings in all these references and he's seen all the musicals and he's read Shakespeare and he brings all these all these elements of culture into a conversation that wouldn't be there normally. So we like it. But in the end, we're just um, reinforcing the idea that a gay guy needs to play into straight people's expectations of gay people in order to be validated and in order to be valid as a person. And there's this wonderful, wonderful quote that we've actually put in our Twitter uh, <laughs> as our Twitter bio. And it comes from this um, TV show, Big Mouth. It came out last year in, on Netflix. And it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, please watch it because it's, it's the perfect mix of, mix of gross and thoughtful and insensitive and sensitive. And they just go all out. They just go all out. And when, you know, every time someone tells me, like, with my comedy, because my comedy can be insensitive at times, it's like, you can't be sensitive and insensitive at the same time. It's like, yes, yes, you can. Yeah, of course. That's, of course you can. you can. You can even use insensitivity to sensitize people. Like, it, it okay. happens. And this... And just for context, Big Mouth is... The main topic of Big Mouth is purity. Is growing up. It's like and yeah. sexuality, puberty, adolescence. Uh, not only puberty as in the like uh, physical sense, but also like the mental sense. Exactly. And in it, it is it is very open to talk about uh, all the the spectrum, both in sexuality and gender. And then you have this season, this first season, and you have all this little cast of characters, and it's a high school set, middle school setting actually, middle school setting, and you have you know the popular girls and who are very insecure, and you have the kind of popular girl who is dealing with her, you know, she's growing up, she gets her first period, she gets all this, and the boys are dealing with body insecurity and puberty as well, and so on. You have all these little stereotypes that begin to become complex. So the really horny guy turns out to be this really deep, complex character. And the, the, the insecure guy who is taking too long to develop turns out to be complex. And they make all these characters complex. And then there's this guy who is the gay guy in class. And he is a complete stereotype. He is just, he is catty and mean and he hangs out with the girls and he's like, oh, he's got this really affected voice and so on. So he's very much playing into the stereotypes of straight people. And I remember watching the first season and saying, I'm not one to like let one detail ruin the whole thing for me. I don't really do that. So I wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to throw this whole thing away because they, you know, what a disrespectful thing to do to gay people. Um, but still, I remember commenting with the, uh, my my friend I was watching with him, and he's gay as well. And we were saying, like, isn't it funny how they keep making all of these characters complex, but the gay guy remains 
a flat gay best friend or mean gay character. He is essentially a, a combination of Jack from Will and Grace, you know, this really very, very flat character. There's nothing to be said about him except he's mean and gay. And then in the second season, there's this tiny, it's a small scene, but it's enough. Because it, that marks the turning point for this character. It's around the fourth or fifth episode. They visit these uh, bachelor apartments full of these really sad single men, the divorced men and the men who never got married or the men who, you know, these, the, the, they're uh, kind of like presented as losers, basically. And there's this gay guy living in the, in the apartment complex. And he's in his 50s or 60s. He's older than everyone else there. He's actually not a loser. He's he seems to be very much owning his shit over there and so on. And then he runs into the young gay guy. And the young gay guy, the moment he sees the old gay guy, he goes like, oh, look at the old queen, something or other, like immediately. And he just turns around and says, essentially what amounts to, you poor guy, you still think that it's okay to be this way, but you're just trying to fit in. And then he, he just drops the bomb and says, look, young and gay and mean is not a personality. And just he's just like, he, he's just blown away by this and he becomes this complex character from this point. He, you can tell him, he's kind of still in the background, but clearly having a crisis. And <laughs> they still show, show him having a crisis. But he goes back to being canny, but he is definitely changing. And, and again, yeah. I mean, there's not, nothing wrong with, you know, being catty in general. I, th- I mean, for me, um, and there's, you know, trying to come some sort of conclusion... Um, for me, I know from, cause I've never been, you know, the super catty, super whatever. I, uh, I, I, I don't mind being, I don't mind the parts of myself that are, that are the stereotype, but I did go through a part in which I didn't want that in me, you know, and I thought I had to justify them. And now I'm like thinking, well, yeah, they're like, you know, again, there's a straight stereotype. That doesn't mean that all straight people are the same. Uh, but for me, what I, right now is that a lot of people have complained to me is that you're always you're always very angry. And the thing is, for me, uh, one of the reasons why I'm I'm tend to be around some straight people very maybe catty, maybe very like this quip things or like whatever you know. Whatever. It's because you want to fuck them. I mean, we all know that too. But uh, but what but what, what what I was going for is they. They say, like, you're always angry, you're always, like, saying these things. I'm like, well, what you have to understand is that this defense mechanism is also this part of the thing where, like, I don't usually feel safe in straight spaces. In straight spaces. And even though I am very proud and, you know, I'm out and proud and whatever, uh, I have this layer of being angry at a world that did not give me... Like, when people talk about their childhood, it's like, it was great because I didn't have nothing to worry about, whatever. I did I did confirm where I realized I was different, and that made me, you know, scared, and that also made me angry. And that part of it comes from that. The fact that that when I went into a high school, a new high school in Cuernavaca when I was 15... Cuernavaca, for context, is a city about an hour away from Mexico City. It's a, it's a smaller city. It's a smaller city, but still quite large. Yes. I mean, it's just let's not forget that it's one of the largest cities in Mexico. I believe it's one of the 10 largest or 15 largest. Probably. It's pretty big. And becoming kind of a suburb city, a satellite city to, yeah. to, to Mexico City now. Yeah. But um, but when I went there, you know, I was new and I, I had just come out to my friends and from where I moved from. And when I was going to this new school, I wanted to keep on living that truth as it may. But I also was afraid of what would happen uh, with everyone. And I, so I also felt that I had to be 
that, that I wanted to be out, but I also, I also couldn't show myself to have any cracks at all. I couldn't be weak in front of these people. Um, and so for me, when, when I see the, the mean, especially with, with, with the youngers, I understand that comes from a point like, this is how I, I've been taught by everyone and everything around me that this is how gay people show that they're in charge because I haven't been shown anything else other than the Regina Georges and the Heathers and, um, I'm completely right. Like Karen Walkers and these, yeah. these feminine yet strong, mean, Characters that we like, the, the Miranda Priestleys. Of know, course, yeah. of course. Uh, but in the end, uh, at least for me, what I, what I, when, in, with the straight friends, where I do manage to like, you know, unwind myself around is like, uh, it's about you know not having be, being able to be yourself and not having to constantly uh, show to people, well, yeah, I'm gay, but I'm but I'm gonna, but whatever you tell, whatever you say to me. I can, you know, shut you down immediately. And that's for me what, you know, my experience with the Regina George syndrome. Have you been Regina George? Never, no. never. Okay. I don't even like, for example, I, I think the one thing what, what I want more, and it's good that we're having a little bit more, is that I want more main uh, queer characters in like old spaces. Uh, I want a movie like Mean Girls, but having uh, but with Kate instead of Katie having like an actual lesbian or trans girl in the main in the main space and learning you know from that. Uh, for for me, I, I don't. I've I've always wanted you know to have friends and be nice to people. So uh, the moment like I I do love Oscar Wilde and Oscar Wilde has some some amazing. Uh, comebacks uh, in his plays and just in general. Um, but I, the thing about Oscar Wilde that I, it's all this thing with Oscar Wilde was being this Oscar Wilde amazing thing in a point in time where it was illegal to be gay, period. Um, he went to jail for being gay. He actually was, he actually married a woman and had children. He died for being gay. He, yeah. It killed him. Yeah. But, 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 uh, in, but not only that, uh, he, he did live in a society where, you know, just imagining on one day he would be able to walk out on the street, you know, holding hands with a person and it not being an issue. It was beyond anyone's scope. Exactly. It just... But within that, him being, you know, the fact that supposedly, you know, uh, myth mythically his last words were uh, either I go or those curtains go. Yes. And then he went. Yes. <laughs> uh, but like... And it's great to have that, and it's great to remember that, and have that queer history, and remember that queer history, and you know, have it close to heart. As this is, this was a part of a worst moment, and the last thing we want is to go back to that. But also, what is what are gay heroes moving forward? Why can't we have a gay Indiana Jones, a gay um, what whatever the name of the Fast and the Furious character, main character is? Someone, yeah, yeah, uh, you know it. It's it's amazing for me sci-fi and fantasy. I, I get I I, I laugh because like recently there was this fantasy author saying like, well, you know, like I I can't write a world. I can write from the gay character point of view because this is I I am not I'm a straight person. I'm like yes, but you have like dragons in your book, bitch. No, I, <laughs> I mean to a degree, and, and this is might be painting myself into a corner here. I understand why screenwriters especially screenwriters, because they have to appeal to massive audiences. And, like, there is no such a thing as a 
local blockbuster anymore. It doesn't exist. Blockbusters are made to be popular here in Mexico and in the States Wait, and in Britain and in China and they, they in cost, India. The only way to make back the money from what they cost is exactly. for them to be as massively appealing as possible. Exactly. Yes. And in order for something to be massively appealing, although this is starting to change, I think, but the only way for something to be massively appealing is to be harmless. And this is, and I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not justifying it. I'm just explaining it. I think this is a reason why, in the end, they end up writing these characters who have to be in a very particular way. And if you, you know, and and then women are talking about why is there no more representation for women? Why is there only the teen girl or the two teen girls in a, in a team dominated by men? It's speaking about you know superhero movies, which is you know the, my idea of the blockbuster right now. Um, and then when someone tries to break the mold and they they try it with the latest uh, Star Wars t- trilogy where the the girl is written and coded as the protagonist everything happens to her and everything is about her she is essentially a Luke Skywalker gender flipped uh, which is not a bad thing it doesn't have to be uh, but so many people lost their shit over that and then when you have to make a billion dollars I can see why so many people would just go, we can't do Yeah, but you, you said two things here that, that I want to touch upon. So one, you said harmless, that they have to, you have to make your character harmless. And also, because also the thing with the new Star Wars is you have, you have Rey, you have Finn, who's, a, who's black, and you have Poe, who's actually Latino, Oscar Isaac. Uh, so, but the thing is, this is the idea of white, male, straight being neutral, as if we stripped everything from a person. Yeah. The only thing left would be white skin, a straight uh, sexuality, and uh, of course cisgender, and and that would and that would be and that's the neutral, and that's the harm it makes. That, the no, the harm it is not harmless. The harm it makes it, it makes people believe that unless you are the neutral form of a human, which is a white person, which is You're stupid, not normal. A exactly, white man. you you, you yeah. are everything. Other than that, is diver- it's a divergence from the norm. Absolutely, and that for me, that's that's why I don't find it harmless. And yes, of course, it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be like changed from, from, and it's a thing we all have, you know. Even even like when when I see my you know my fanfic when I was when I was really young, I I never went for the black guy in my Mary Sue in my Mary Sue. Uh, um, you know, uh, fanfics. It was always always like the the the, the Caucasian main main guy. I really want you to read one of your. Fanfics no, you will. The, you will never. You will for, never. No, for, for us. Okay. As part of this podcast, I maybe one day we should. I will write. Yeah, I, when I said harmless, I didn't mean harmless in the way that. No, of course, that's what that, that, like, I, inoffensive. I, I meant. I, I, to I totally understood. I'm not saying you don't you don't believe this. You don't, don't believe or don't understand that. I just wanted to point that out. Um, but I think that for you, but like to finish this whole thing, um, well, uh, until the next time, mm-hmm. like my question would be like, for you, what would you think is the, if not the antidote, like where do we go from here as uh, queer people? Well, um, for me, I, it's, it's interesting because I think the way to do it is just the way that it's been done with other oh. uh, sectors of the population. Like, um how did we come to a point where black a black man could be the protagonist of a film and the fact that he is black does not come up because that's the whole normalization thing now i'm not saying it that's not without its problems but 
Um, it's something that it shouldn't be brought up as an issue in the script writing thing. I would like to see an action film where the main character is gay, and yet that is of no consequence. It's of no consequence to the plot. It's of no consequence to his character. It just It's just part of his makeup. Same as a character having blue eyes or green eyes or brown eyes. It doesn't matter. Like, kind of like moving in that direction to make... I, I know it's manipulative, but I do think that popular culture is largely uh, vaccinating the audiences towards finding, you know, having less and less violent reactions to certain things. So how can we make a character, a gay character, a positive influence by essentially ha deconstructing the idea of the gay character having to be a certain way, having to be angsty about his homosexuality, for example. Um, this is something that a friend of mine brought up the other day, and I, was, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, we were talking about interracial couples in mainstream uh, film. And she says, have you noticed, she is black, my friend, and uh, she says, have you noticed that whenever there is uh, a white guy with a black woman, it doesn't really seem like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's just normalized to a degree. We're, we're more willing to accept that. But when it's a black man with a white woman, someone always mentions that that is a problem. And try to think of a, of a movie, a mainstream movie, recent, last 20 years, where there is a, a black guy protagonist and a white woman uh, romantic interest, and the race issue is not an issue. And they're really not that common. I, I this is this podcast has gone long enough as it is, and we should at some point not only discuss speaking of gay protagonists, we should and 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 teen comedies, we should talk about Love Simon. I don't know if you I haven't seen, seen it. No, you should yeah. see it so that we can talk about Love Simon. Right. Um, I I think I totally agree. I think um, uh, that that is part of it. Like just have you know more representation. Representation matters. Uh, the more you see something, the less. Uh, rare it seems and thus you're willing to admit to accept it in all sorts of scenarios um, uh, and so let's write a movie let's do it <laughs> and I would like to end with this as well taking the opportunity to bring this into the conversation as well like this happened to me this was only about a month ago I did this show for about 600 people and my comedy just so that you guys know my comedy is very you know it's anecdotal And I do talk about being gay, but I don't really talk that much about it. Not because I don't feel safe doing it, because it's comedy. I mean, you don't feel safe doing anything. And if you feel safe talking about something in stand-up, then I really don't like that. You know, I like, I like the idea of someone making themselves vulnerable. Uh, but I don't really talk about being gay that much. And me as a person, I'm not particularly stereotypically gay not that much um that's just the way i am i mean i'm not i'm not trying to be or not to be something and then this guy comes after the show and he approaches me and he goes you are the the, the funniest gay comedian i've seen there's a number of gay comedians uh here in mexico and you're the funniest gay comedian i've seen i was like that's a very kind of you to say you could have just said the funniest comedian but then you're yes in, thank you i don't like i resent the implication that there is a funniest straight person you know but there you go and he was like and you know why and i'm like oh god why and he goes because you're gay but you're not too gay and i'm like sir i don't know if you've just seen my show but i just talked about fucking men in front of 600 people As far as I'm aware, that's as gay as it gets. 
But then I thought about what this guy said, and that's not as gay as it gets. There are so many levels to gayness that people have trouble with. And that made me think, maybe some people have less trouble with the fact that a gay man has sex with men than with the fact that a gay man is feminine. My Honestly. answer to that is that they do have a problem with gay men, that men have sex with men. That's the problem. The thing is, they're okay with you. They're okay when you don't make them think about that. When you're feminine, you make them think about gay sex. When you don't talk about it, then it's like, it's fine. But here's the thing. I did talk about it. Yeah, but... Uh, Very explicitly. Yeah, no, it's happened to me too. Yeah. Like, I have, I had the two... I, I had the same... Like, one time I came off stage, one person came to me was like, that wasn't gay enough. Then the next person, that was too gay. That was very... Uh, um, what's her face? Um, Hannah Gatsby. Hannah Gatsby. Yeah. Not enough no, no, lesbian no, no, no. content. I, 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 do think, I, I do think you're having way too much faith in straight people right now. <laughs> I, or maybe I'm just way too jaded by straight people. <laughs> no, the thing is, I was I was offended, but at the same time, it made me think. It's like, why is why is this guy finding me less offensive as a gay person when I am being, as far as I'm concerned, as gay as I am? I'm not I'm not diluting my gayness. It's just that I don't really talk about it that much because I don't think my gay parts are as funny as other parts. I guess, or I don't draw that much com- comedy. From my gayness, I just don't think it's that funny. Well, the Tamales Bajenos guy is coming, so that means I'm going to have to uh, see. But, but uh, I think we should save that also for another episode. Uh, Sounds good. About our homosexuality and comedy. Uh, that's great. So, uh, that being said, this is the end of the podcast. <laughs>